Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Hello to all of you joining us, no matter where you are. If you're not in the DFW area, let me tell you, you are missing out on some beautiful weather, and we are super thankful for that. Hopefully, all of you have been able to enjoy some time outside. Uh, as usual, my boys want to play outside, and now I'm actually willing uh, to go with them because it's not blazing hot, and it's been fun uh, playing with them outside. And one of the games that, I, that they play outside that I know they're going to quickly Outgrow is a classic game that you all have played, and that is hide and seek. You, you know this game, this game where everybody gathers up and there's one person who's determined to be the, the seeker and all the rest will be the hiders, and they come up with this predetermined amount of time that they're going to count to, whether they count up or down, but they're going to count this predetermined amount of time. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, and it, while they, they're counting, everybody's going to go and they're going to hide. And you can, when, when the, people are hiding, when, whenever you've played this, you can sense the anticipation. I mean, everybody kind of, they're, they're excited about this hiding part of it. And in fact, if you're playing with kids, and my boys will do this too, that are little enough, they'll just giggle and like give away their hiding spot. And in fact, Hayes is so little that sometimes when you play, you know, you start to go and find them and they just jump out and they're like, ah, you know, and they're like, no, this, not the point of the game, but that's okay. Anyway, that you count up or down to that predetermined amount of time. And then all of a sudden there is that classic phrase that you all know, repeat it with me, ready or not, here I come. That, 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 that is a, a paramount phrase to the entire game because it, I love how it says it. It has this precursor of ready or not because everybody got together and they knew the predetermined amount of time, whether we were counting to 100 or counting to 10, it doesn't matter. But you knew how much time you had in order to be able to hide. Therefore, whether you're ready or not, we've gotten to that time where it's time for me to come. And in real life, there is a hide and seek to come. And it's not a game and there will be no giggles. There will be some who want to be found because they are friends with Jesus and there will be some who do not want to be found. They would rather stay hiding because they're not a friend, they're a foe. And there's a predetermined amount of time, so we better be ready because ready or not, there will be a day where he says, here I come. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be in verses 29 to 31. It's page 830 if you're opening one of the blue Bibles in one of our venues. We're obviously continuing our series, Living with the End in Mind, as we study these last events that Jesus describes in Matthew 24 to 25 in what we call the Olivet Discourse. And if you'll remember, the reason why we call it the Olivet Discourse is because Jesus is giving this discourse or this speech from the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is just east of Jerusalem as he looks back onto Jerusalem 
kind of that temple mount. We showed you pictures. Go back to week one if you want the context for all of this. And so uh, this Matthew 24 and 25 where Jesus is describing the end times, the reason why he's describing the end times, if you'll remember, is because he's been rejected. He's been rejected by Jerusalem, and by Jerusalem, that is representative of all the people of Israel. He came to offer them to be their king, to be their righteous ruler, to make all things right, to establish his kingdom. And they said, no thanks, we don't want it. In fact, they said, I was willing to gather you, and it says, you were not willing basically, to accept me. And so Jesus says, because of that rejection, let me lay out what the end times will look like. And that's what Matthew 24 and 25 uh, have entailed and will entail. And so we've given you a timeline of what that looks like, and I just want to go over it by way of review very quickly. Uh, Please, please, please notice that star. You are here in the church age. That's where we are right now in this age where grace abounds. The invitation for you to accept Jesus as your king is wide, available, wide open and available to you. And that is important for you to understand because that provides the urgency for you to place your trust in Jesus, which I'll talk about later on. But you are here, rapture of the church before the tribulation. I'm going to speak more specifically about the rapture next week. But the rapture of the church is important because it takes you away from, all believers away from, the tribulation, which Dr. Bailey described last week in more detail, which is an awful and terrible tribulation, awful and terrible time. And then at the end of that tribulation is the second coming of Jesus, which we will talk about today. And what's important as you think about this is that tribulation, as Dr. Bailey described, as we see it in Scripture, it's a predetermined amount of time. It's seven years. It's a seven-year tribulation. We all know that he's given that to us in Scripture. This is how long it's going to be. And when that ticker starts counting counting down those seven years, at the end of that predetermined amount of time, Jesus will say, ready or not, here I come. And he comes back to the earth. Now, I don't know how much you know. There's a key word on that timeline, and it's second coming of Jesus. The second coming. And the reason why we call it the second coming is because he's already come one time, right? Sorry, just, let's just be clear on these things. So there was a first advent or coming, and then there will be a second one. Now, I'm not sure how much you know about the first one, but uh, you probably know a lot because there's a whole holiday around it that you celebrate every year, that everybody celebrates every year. At least they take off work for it. And that is the first coming of Jesus, the first advent of Christ. This will be completely different. The second advent is completely different. And what I want you to see today is that the different approach of Jesus, the different way that he comes, must mean that he has a different purpose. A different approach means a different purpose. When when we approach one thing this way and then we approach the same situation in a different way, it's because we have a different purpose. Let me give you an, uh, an illustration. Let's say today you go out to eat. 
You, you go out to eat, and uh, your server comes up and says, hi, my, my name is Courtney, or hi, my name is Joe, or hey, my name is Courtney Joe. And, I, you know, I, I'm here to take care of you today. And they ask, you know, what, what can I get you? What, what? They, they approach your table. They approach you in one way. Very inviting. I'm here to take care of you how, however you'd like. You eat. You have a great time. At the end of the meal, they come again, and they say, did you save room for dessert? And here's your check. It's time to pay up. They come with something that they didn't come with the first time. Now they're coming with a bill. It's time for you to pay the piper. You see, there's a, a, an approach the first time, very, very inviting, very warm, very welcoming. They come again with a different purpose. So there's a different approach and a different purpose. Same kind of analogy works with Jesus. When he comes the second time, there will be a bill to pay. There's a different approach and therefore a different purpose. And I want to explain to you what that is, why he has a different approach, and that's point one, why he even has that approach, the purpose, in point two, and then I'll give you some applications as uh, we finish up our time together. So let's look at verses 29 to 31, where I want you to see that Jesus' second coming will be completely different from his first completely different from his first. And this is where I want to explain to you how different it is from his first advent. So just follow along with me. I want to read these verses to you. Verse 29, immediately, and notice these time markers, because these will correlate with exactly what we just showed you on the timeline at the top of your notes. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then, another time marker, will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. May God bless the reading of his word. So what Jesus is describing is that second approach. The approach that he will have to earth, which was very different. This is exactly what, what Jesus is answering here is what the, the question that the disciples asked in verse Three, if you'll remember it. In verse three, remember they said, what will be the sign of your coming or the sign of the end of the age and your coming? And we talked about this in week one, that their definition of those end times was Jesus is here and then Jesus is gonna come in and inaugurate his kingdom. It was a now and a later, just two. And Jesus said that wasn't incorrect, it was just incomplete. And what he's been filling in the rest of chapter 24 from verse 3 to 29 is all of that in-between stuff. And now he says this will be the sign of the end of the age. This will be, the, that's how he answers that specific question that they asked. Now there are different theories to what the sign of the end of the age is that Jesus is 
describing here. Different people have different ideas about what that means. Some think the sign of the end of the age was Kansas hosting game day, Saturday. (laughs) It's not, okay? Pretty phenomenal, but that's not. No, some think, patristic fathers think that actually it was the, it's going to be the sign of the cross, and I think that comes from some crazy dream that Constantine had way back when. Anyway, it's not that, okay? Uh, some think that it's the Shekinah glory that, peop, that, that people will see as, as the Lord comes. I don't think it's that either, although there, I believe there will be light, which you'll see in just a second. Uh, I think the sign of the end of the age and the sign of the coming of man is... The Son of Man. If you, if you look back at it, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man. It, it, it's Him, it's Jesus. And the Son of Man is a really interesting term that, that denotes Jesus' not only deity, but His connection to humanity. And that's really important because there are things that you need to understand about this second coming that that will be true. And I've listed these out on your sermon notes. I just want to walk through them. Uh, The first is Jesus will return physically. The Son of Man, remember? Deity and humanity, emphasizing his humanity. He will return physically. What Jesus offered and promised was a literal kingdom, not a metaphorical one, not merely a spiritual one, but a physical kingdom where he will rule and reign. He will return physically. And that is not only prophesied, that was clearly understood by the disciples because that's what they expected. Uh, If you look at Acts chapter 1, we're not going to look at it. Just write it down. You can go back and look. But as uh, they are in, as the disciples are in the upper room with Jesus and he ascends, he ascends to heaven. Acts chapter 1, we have the ascension. It, It says that after he had said these things, they were looking and Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Clouds are these divine heavenly vehicles all throughout scripture. And so he ascends, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Well, why are they looking into heaven? Because they expect him to come back. They don't know how long he's going to be gone. So that's why they're sitting there waiting. They're like, okay, you went up. We know that. Okay. When are you coming back? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven... He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He will come back, same as he described in Matthew chapter 24. He will return physically, as physically as he departed, as the disciples saw him depart. He will return physically. He will also return visibly. Visibly, everyone will see this. And I think everyone will see this because of the events that are taking place in the earth or, or for the earth, just the universe, period. Uh, look back at verse 29. It says, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Science lesson. Why will the moon not give its light? Good. Moon reflects the sun. 
good. And if the sun's darkened, then the moon will not reflect its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is chicken little, the sky is falling. This is a catastrophic heavenly disruption. And when the heavens are disrupted in that way, that will cause catastrophic natural events, that natural uh, things to go on that are very tragic here on earth. This, this will be visible when he returns. I think partly because if everything is dark, everyone will see the light of the world return. That's what he says in John chapter 8, verse 12, that he is the light of the world. And that's why I think it's not the Shekinah glory, although he will be some sort of visible, there will be light that emanates from him, the light of the world, as he returns, because the world will be in complete darkness, which is absolutely terrifying to think about. Terrifying. And I read one scientist who said if these things some of these things happen with these heavenly bodies. Uh, I mean, you cannot imagine the earthquakes. The, the seas will become deserts. And the deserts become, I mean, just the order of the world, it will be absolutely chaotic to the point where everyone will know that it's him. That's the third point. Jesus will return not only physically, not only visibly, but he will return powerfully. It will be powerful. It says that he will come with power and great glory. His return will be distinguishable and recognizable. Although, although we have not seen him, and although the earth will not have seen him, and those on the, on the earth at that time during that tribulation will not have seen him, they will know exactly who he is. And they will know exactly what he's coming for, which is just crazy to think, isn't it? That they, they don't know who he is, but they recognize him and they understand why he's coming back. Because it says the nations will mourn or the tribes of the earth will mourn, probably because they realize that their time is up and he's coming to judge them. This will be so terrifying, as I said, that the way that Luke records this in his gospel, Luke chapter 21, verse 25 and 26, uh, the, the way that it's phrased there, uh, he adds a detail. It says, when this happens, men will expire in the Greek. Men will lose their breath. Literally, men will be scared to death. That, that's how powerful and majestic, how awesome, we overuse the word awesome, how awesome this event will be, the second coming of Jesus. This is, I, I, I don't think I can verbally convey uh, how impactful this event will be for those on the earth. And you know, a trumpet is mentioned that he's going to blow a trumpet, and a trumpet had uh, two purposes, and I want to explain those because I think that's important here. Uh, back in the Old Testament, one of the reasons why they would blow a trumpet is 
to basically declare impending battle. It was a battle cry in a sense. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus is coming back. But another reason why they would blow that is to gather those that are their own. To gather them into safety because of an impending battle. And there is an aspect here where he is doing that. Where he says he will gather his from the four winds. Basically means the four corners of the earth. That he will gather his own. Those who have called them that say he is my king. He will gather them so that they will not experience this terror. God is always gracious and kind to his own. And he wants everyone to be his own. Let me be clear about that. And offers that invitation to everyone. But this will be a very powerful moment. Very different than his first advent. And I, and I want to I look at those. So if you look at your sermon notes, I've, I've, I've put a chart on your sermon notes to just compare those. Because I want you to understand the different approach. Because we're about to go into the different purpose for the approach. If you look at the first approach at his first coming, he came as a meek servant. He came in humility to a manger. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to suffer for sinners. And he came to invite others' allegiance. I mean, he has done everything to save us from impending judgment for our own sins what, what we deserve as we are enemies of God, that's, that's why he came the first time. Completely different than the second. Look at them contrasted. Where he came as a meek servant, now he's going to come as a majestic ruler. Where he came in humility to a manger, we always put that sweet little eight-pound baby Jesus in the little manger. Now he's coming in splendor. And he's not coming to a manger where he can be overlooked now he's coming to a throne. He came to seek and to save the lost. Now he's coming to judge those unwilling to submit to him. First time he came to suffer for sinners. Now he's coming to rescue the saints. First coming he came to invite others allegiance. And in his second coming he will come to implement his authority. Very different approaches because he has very different purposes to come. But as I've studied this passage, I've asked myself the question, why is he coming back? And I know this is a weird place. You're like, Cody, we're already into this sermon. Why are you asking this question now? Hold on. Go with me here for just a second. Why does he come back? If, if, if in our minds, and I think I share a similar mind to you, which is scary for you. If, if we talk about heaven as this wonderful place with Jesus where there is no suffering and there is no sin and all of these things, then why doesn't he just take us all there? Why, why does he go through all this trouble and all this mess to come back? Have you ever thought about that like, like that? I mean, doesn't it sound weird? Like, just, just take us there. Why come back here? Why come into this, this, this mess? Don't, don't do it, Jesus. <laughs> we know how bad it is. Just take us there. That's where we all look forward to going to anyway. But there's a very specific reason why he's coming back. 
You see, Jesus' second coming is going to set up the completion of God's purposes. It's going to set up the completion of God's purposes. There are some very specific reasons why Jesus is coming back. And I want to explain what those are. You see, because when Jesus, uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection, conquered sin and death, it did not do away with it fully. You know that because you sin and we will die. So it has not done away with it fully, but that, the cross was almost as an engagement ring, a, a down payment, his own blood, that I promise you this will be made right. I've already paid for it. This will happen. But I've got other guests that I want to invite. I've got some setup that I want to do for that day when I will come back and take you as my own. He's called the bridegroom when he comes back for the church. And so I want to explain what those purposes are very quickly so you understand why does he have to come back. He's coming back because First, Jesus will establish his kingdom on earth where he will rule and reign. He's going to establish his kingdom on earth where he will rule and reign. And this is a very important point. This reminds me of the old hymn. This is my father's world. Psalm 24, verse 1. Everything is... In the earth belongs to him. And right now, there is an aspect, as we understand from the New Testament, where Satan is the prince of the air and the ruler of this world. If Jesus just took us all to heaven, he would concede earth. And he's not going to do that. There is no aspect of God's creation that Jesus is willing to concede. And so he's coming back to rightfully claim and rule over that which is his. That which he created. That which he established. You see, he's not going to go hide in heaven. He's going to come back and rightfully claim what is his own. That's why he's coming back, because the earth is his and everything in it. And so he's coming back to establish his righteous rule on this earth the way that he intended it to be. And when he comes back, there will be no election and you will get no vote. He will be king. He is coming the second time to establish his authority over that which is rightfully his. That's why he's coming. Second, Jesus is coming again to this earth because he's going to fulfill every promise he's ever made. There is still prophecy left to be fulfilled. And just so you understand what prophecy is, all prophecy is is a promise that God has made. Very simply. Prophecy is a promise that God has made. And he is going to fulfill every promise that he's made. He's not willing 
to let any promise fade away or to leave any promise unfulfilled. And there are specific promises that he's even made to Israel as a nation that go all the way back to Genesis that have yet to be completely fulfilled. And that's why Jesus is coming back again because he's coming back to fulfill promises that he made thousands of years ago because there's not a promise that he's going to overlook. And how comforting to us to know that he keeps every promise that he makes. That's why he's coming back, because he's promised. I mean, even if you go back to the promises that he made to Israel, he promised them land, seed, and blessing. And all three of those promises have not been fulfilled at the same time for those people. And that's why he gathers the people from the four winds, because he's going to establish his millennial kingdom where he will rule and reign with his people in the land. Land, seed, blessing, millennial kingdom, thousand years. He's going to fulfill his promise that he made, no matter how long ago it was made. Third, Jesus is going to come back to this earth because he's going to end the suffering of his people. He's going to end the suffering of his people. As Dr. Bailey talked about last week uh, when he talked about the tribulation, the tribulation will be so awful that not only a third of the population will be wiped off the face of the earth, but... If the tribulation were not stopped, it would wipe out everyone. And as is in God's nature, he stops the torment. He stops the torture. And he comes back so that his people do not suffer any longer. He gathers his people together who were there. Because remember, people come to know Christ through the tribulation, those are his own, and they will be experiencing such persecution that they are driven to the four corners of the earth. That's why he brings them back, those that have come to know him through the tribulation, but there's still a large portion that will not bow the knee to him. And so he gathers his own to stop the suffering. And guess what? After Jesus comes back, after the second coming, we do not see God's people suffer any longer. No more. It's over. When he comes back, he takes care of his people, never to suffer again. Because he's going to rescue his people. He's going to redeem them. He's going to protect them. Which leads to the final purpose why Jesus comes back. Jesus will judge his enemies who would never bow their knee to him. Jesus will judge his enemies who will never bow their knee to him. When he returns, he binds Satan for a thousand years to establish his millennial kingdom. And then there will be a great white throne judgment, which we'll study at the very last um, sermon of this series, which we'll talk about in uh, in, in more detail. But just so you know, this judgment does not come out of nowhere. I would love for you to write down Revelation 19, verse 11. Uh, It says, in righteousness, he judges and makes war. It's from his righteousness. It's from, I I, I told you what the standard was. I've built the bridge. I've paid the penalty. I've paid for your sins. I've given you every opportunity to not be judged for your sins. I've taken it upon myself if you would just bow the knee to me. It's in his righteousness. 
that he judges those who would never accept him or bow their knee to him, which means that everyone will be left without excuse. That's you and me, and that's folks in the tribulation. That's, I mean, everyone will be left without excuse so that if they are judged, they're judged only by his righteousness, only by his standard, which he already talked about, which he's made clear through his word, which is what we preach all the time. It's that predetermined, not only uh, time that we've talked about, but the predetermined what happens when he comes. This is what happens. He wants everyone to know. And so all of us need to live with the end in mind. And if you'll remember, I told you my three goals for, the, for living with the end in mind for this series was to first educate you on end time events, second, inspire a sense of hope, and third, hopefully raise a sense of urgency in your life so that we can, under, so that we can live in light of all of these things. So that's really how the, the applications fall. It, uh, let me go through them quickly first. Place your trust in Jesus' payment for your sins. This is the urgency. We don't, we don't know when the rapture will occur. And again, I told you I'll talk more about that next week. But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It's appointed for each person to die once, and after that comes the judgment. When Jesus approaches the second time, he's coming with a bill, and it's time to pay. And either you're going to pay for your sins for eternity, or you're going to allow him to pay for them in full. You pay the bill, or he does. There's only two options. And if he pays for it, guess what? He already paid for it once and for all, one time. If you pay for it, you have to pay for it for eternity, forever. I hope you get a sense of urgency that you would place your trust in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross today. Do not delay because that bill will come. Second, place your trust in Jesus' promises from his word. This is the education. Understand the promises that are made in his word because Jesus stands by every promise he's made so that we can stand on every promise that he's made. There is not one promise he forgets, not one person he overlooks. And so place all your trust in the promises that he's made for you. And then third, place your trust in Jesus' purposes for this world. My friend, the sky is not falling. God is sovereign. And you might not understand what's going on in our world, and you might not feel like he's in control, but he is. He's steering this thing to a conclusion. And he is absolutely 100% in control. Do not lose hope. Do not lose heart. He will be true to his promise. He will come for you. He says that in John chapter 14, verse 3. If, if there weren't a place that he was going to prepare for you and he wasn't going to come back and take us to it, why would he have told us that? Why? Because he's true to his promise. 
Have hope. Have urgency. Live in light of his promise and what he said in his word because there will be a day where he says, ready or not, here I come. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us and telling us what the end will be like so that we can live with a sense of urgency, but we can also live with a sense of confidence and hope in you. Lord, thank you that you give us that, that warning <laughs> that you say, this is how it's going to happen. And when I come again, this is why I'm coming, so that we can be prepared But Lord, we don't want to just be prepared for our own sake. We want to live with an urgency for those folks in and around us. So Holy Spirit, would you work in and through us to bring people to come to know you so that they would know the King, so that when you do come, they would be ready. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.